0: This chapter moves away from uh, introductory matters and some of the things he talked about in chapter one, and, and he gets into what does it what does it look like if you were to draw a picture of caring well for other people, what would it look like? Um, what would it sound like? What would your day planner look like if you were caring well for others? What would your checkbook ledger look like? Um, what would the things? on your mind during the week look like? Uh, what would capture your attention? And, uh, so, and, and this is important because what, what Paul's gonna do, well, let me tell you what he's gonna do and then I'll tell you how I think it helps to us. In chapter two, he's gonna talk about when he first arrived at Th- in Thessalonica. There's no church. As far as we know, there aren't any Christians. The gospel hasn't reached there. And he's gonna talk about how he cared for these people from the first declaration of the gospel to them all the way through uh, his ministry where he finally leaves uh, the city. And I, it, it's a wonderful picture of, I, I don't know if you do this, you've you got that person at the office, you got that person you work with, you got that friend who has... Uh, a sickness and you're trying to minister the gospel. You've got some grandchild that, uh, you know, maybe that side of the family doesn't know the Lord. And so you're, you're trying to share the gospel and, and, and you're asking this question, what does it even look like? What does it look like to care for people in the name of evangelism and discipleship, and and we get to what we get to do is I call it spiritual eavesdropping. We get to look over the shoulder of the apostle Paul as he writes to the Thessalonians and describes what was his strategy going into Thessalonica. And I think along the way, what we do is we get a picture of what it really looks like to care for people well. Okay, so um, in our time together, we're going to look at twelve qualities. Of what it means to care for others well. So we'll just, um, uh, I'm calling it qualities of Christ-like caring. And, uh, and you'll, you'll see how this opens up. So let this, let, let these 12 things draw a picture in your mind of what it looks like. And chances are, like me, as you hear these 12 things, we'll have to go pretty quickly to get through all 12 of them. But like me, you're gonna hear some of these, and some of these you're gonna be like, you know what, by God's grace, I think I'm doing okay with that one. And others, you're going to go, ouch, I probably need to do a little little work on that. So as we go through these, be encouraged in the things that you feel like by God's grace you're doing well. And uh, make some mental notes for Further pursuit on the things where you believe maybe you could do a little bit better, okay, so let me read we 're just going to look at the first twelve verses of first Thessalonians chapter two, and then we 'll jump in to look at these qualities, okay chapter two verse one: For you yourselves know, brethren that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts." For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And you are our witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you, as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you. In his own kingdom and glory. I think in that description, we have a picture of what faithful, caring, servant minded, Christ exalting, faithful ministry looks like in caring for others. Okay, so let's just look at some of these descriptions here. And again, we'll, we'll move through them rather quickly, but um, some of these may re- resonate. So the, the first thing do, do you remember? Um, how, how does how do Paul and Silas end up in Thessalonica? Do you remember? They get chased out of the city. Uh, remember in Philippi, which is where they were before Thessalonica, they were preaching, and what happened because they were preaching? They got thrown in jail, and then what happened? Okay, Mr. Slaughter knows the story. It's awesome. I love it. I love it. Does anybody else know the story? Yeah, yeah. So they're having a they're having a, a a worship fest at midnight in the Philippian jail and uh God intervenes and the jail doors open and the, the jailer thinks, oh no, all these prisoners are out, that's on my watch, the king will have my head, and and Paul says, No, we're all here and and in in the overwhelming experience of that, the jailer says, What must I do to be saved? He and his whole family uh trust Christ, they all get baptized. You imagine that a uh, midnight uh, not just prayer service that turns into a, a evangelistic and baptism service, I mean that, that, what a great moment, but but that event so riled up the city and made the officials nervous that they drive Paul and Silas out of the city and Where do they go next? They go to Thessalonica now, if you were thrown in prison and you were run out of a city, you might come into the next city and be, be a little bit like well, i 'm just going to kind of keep this to myself you know be a little bit quieter about this you know Is that what Paul did? Nope, there's a synagogue, we're going right in there, and, and Sabbath after Sabbath, they're going to... Right? And that, that's the background, okay? So, so with that context, listen to what he says. He says, "...for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain," meaning it, it, it didn't result in nothing... But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst amidst much opposition. So I think quality number one is persistent in opposition. Persistent in opposition. You've done this, right? It, It was Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, and there was that family member, and you tried to share the gospel with them, and it didn't go well. And those are awkward situations, aren't they? Those are, it can be embarrassing situations. And, and, and uh, sometimes we come away from that, and we go, you know what? That wasn't a lot of fun. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that again. Because sometimes opposition tempts us to be timid. Or to maybe not even try. And, and Paul says, uh, our efforts with you were not in vain because even after we were mistreated in Philippi, uh, we came right here and we shared the gospel with you. They persisted in, in the message, and this is why we, this is why the Christianity is compared to a boxing match, a track and field event, because sports are one of those things where you're going to get hurt. Uh, in a boxing ring, you don't sit down with your opponent and say, hey, can we just reason through, uh, we'll just kind of talk about who wins. And No, you try to beat the tar out of the other guy and you're going to get beat up in the process. And it's, it's a battle to the last man standing, right? And that, that's what Christianity is like. You're going to get beat up. You're going to have opposition. Things are not going to go well. It's not going to feel like you're on vacation the whole time. And don't, don't give in when you are hurt, when you do experience opposition, when things don't go well, when that talk with that neighbor doesn't, you know, it comes back on you and, you know, you're the bad guy, you know, you're intolerant, you know, you're not loving and and don't, don't give up. That, that's normal Christianity. Opposition is normal. And so we need to persist. If, if you and I want to be faithful in caring for others, we need to be persistent with people. People are not easy to work with. Um, As I told you, my my professor in seminary, classic line, people are messy. And they will hurt you. Uh, If not physically as in the case of, of Paul and the Philippians, but they will hurt you relationally. They will hurt you in the things that they say and do. And so, Uh, Paul demonstrates here the need to be persistent in the midst of opposition. Notice the second quality of of Christ-like caring here. Uh, It is being bold in God. Being bold in God, he said, uh, Our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. Uh, What's boldness, by the way? What What is boldness? Jude, what's boldness? Being strong, strong, yeah, yeah. Now, that's a great definition. So I want you to look back at the text and tell me um, there is an ungodly type of boldness. That's called being offensive for Jesus. That's called being uh, harsh for Jesus. That's not the type of boldness we want to pursue. But there's a godly boldness. Look back at the text and tell me, what's the secret to godly boldness? What What does he say? Yeah, he's obeying the gospel. Okay, sharing the gospel. What's that? Yeah, that, that, that's it. Did you see the little the modifier? S- see, boldness is not the problem. When we, when you and I get in trouble with boldness or being strong, it's because our our strength, our boldness, is in the wrong thing. Boldness is in I have all the answers. Boldness is in I'm going to get my way. Boldness is is uh, no one's going to tell me otherwise, right? And, and, and it's that, that spoils boldness because we're, we're rooting it in the wrong thing. Does that make sense? So as Lisa's saying, boldness, according to Paul here, is it's a boldness in God, meaning I can go and speak the truth and love to people because I have a confidence in God. The, the strength to persist and and to speak to people, even though that may not be received well, is not based on me having all the answers or you know I'm just gonna I'm gonna work, work my way through. It, it's it's I have a confidence that God's word is reliable and God's work in me is consistent and therefore. God directs. my It's a boldness in God. It's not a boldness in me or a boldness in what I know. or And that should make us feel better. You, know, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to be effective in caring for people. You don't have to be ACBC certified. And I love ACBC. You don't have to be certified to do that. You don't have to have a title in the church. You don't have to be a Christian for decades. You can have a humble confidence in God to speak to other people in a loving way what you know they need to hear and trust that God will use your effort um, in that, okay? So a a boldness, a a boldness in God, right? Right. Um, And again, evaluate yourself. Some of us lean toward being more harsh, more matter-of-fact, more strong, we might have to tap the brakes a little bit and say maybe I need to root that more in God than just in my natural personality. Others of us may say I tend to be timid. I don't like to rock the boat. You know, I'm just trying to keep the peace. And and maybe the way we adjust is we need to say I need to be more bold. I need to learn to speak out of a humble confidence in God when it's uncomfortable to speak when it would go against my nature to speak, but when it's the right thing to do. We can't care for people if we're not opening our mouths and, and telling them what they need to hear in uncomfortable or even hostile situations. Okay, number three, uh, quality here of Christ-like caring, speaking the gospel. One of you mentioned this. Look back at verse two. He says, In boldness in our God, to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Um, Christianity... Uh, is a is a belief system based on a message based on a person, His name is Jesus, and Jesus came as the Son of God to live the life that you and I should have lived, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, and then to rise again, demonstrating that he had conquered sin and conquered death, and that the Father had accepted his sacrifice so that when a person turns from sin and trusts in Christ alone, God will look on the work of Christ and then reconcile you or me or whoever's trusting in him, reconcile that person back into relationship with God, uh, declaring our sin forgiven, declaring Christ's righteousness uh, as our righteousness. And that that is the foundation of what we believe. So you're saying, I know that, Pastor Keith. Why are you telling me that? Because our our mission is a mission of speaking the truth and love to other people. We ought to live like Christ. We ought to act like Christ. We ought to speak like Christ. We, we ought to um, be an example in in our deeds. Our life needs to authenticate our ministry. But... We cannot be faithful believers if we're not speaking the gospel to other people. Uh, what God wants in terms of leaving us here is to speak the gospel to other people. That, that's, that's our mission. So again, go, going back to being bold, going back to you know opposition, we need to persist in speaking the gospel. You know, Mike's going to go see his friend uh, who's dying. And, and the reason he's going is because he knows. His mission, like all of our mission, is to speak the gospel to people. And uh, and as he said, right, and Mike, I'm trying not to put the spotlight on you, but it's a good example. Um, you know, Mike's not just going to go and be with the family. He's not just going to go and love on him and ministry of presence. All that's good, and Mike's going to do all that. But the goal is to share the gospel because it's the message. It's the message that must be believed and acted upon that, that brings a person back into relationship. So again, some, some of us more like, you know, let our actions speak louder than our words. Yes, and, and we, ought, we ought to uh, be people of action. But we also need to be people of, of words and, and speaking the gospel in that. Okay? So we're talking about how do we excel in caring for people? How do we do it? We persist in opposition. We're bold in God. We speak the gospel. Number four, we want to be truthful and honest. Look what he says here. Verse three, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity, or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we speak not as pleasing men, but God. That's kind of interesting. Why do you think, and it'll it'll make sense if you think about it, but why do you think Paul highlights that when he came to the Thessalonians, he wasn't just making stuff up? He, He was speaking the truth, he wasn't being deceitful, it wasn't impure speech, but it was truthful, honest, uh, sort of things. Why, why would he highlight that? Because okay, because they're going to hear other things from other people. And Paul's saying, w- we're telling you the Word of God exactly as God related it to us. Okay, and there's other messages. So, okay, I th- that's good. Any other ideas? Let me ask you this. When caring for people or ministry to others doesn't go well, what is one of the temptations that arises? To temper the you temper the message. You've been there? That person didn't like it when I said this, so maybe we'll just avoid that topic, even though it's in the Bible. Uh, we have a, a kindler, gentler, more culturally acceptable gospel. Uh, that doesn't acknowledge things that maybe people don't like to talk about, like hell or judgment or like the need for repentance or what Scripture says about culturally controversial issues like, I don't know, gender and marriage. And so we avoid those things. And I've done it, maybe you've been tempted to do it, where I am not as comprehensive as the Bible calls me to be because I have sanded off the corners of the message that someone may have found offensive. And Paul says, I didn't do that. They're hearing hearing the ear-tickling messages from people around them, and they're attracted to that. Paul says, I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to tell you the truth because I love you, and because your eternity with God depends on it. So let's be careful. If we're going to care for people, you will have occasions where you're tempted to not tell the whole truth in order to be liked or to not be as offensive or to come in line with the culture. And Paul says we didn't do that. In fact, he says it three times. Right? He says uh, um, we. Uh, where is it? Yeah. Not from error, not from impurity, nor by way of deceit. He's saying three different ways I told you only the truth. Here's a hard one. Number five. Pleasing God, not men. You notice how this goes together. Um, he says, in light of that, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines their hearts. How many of you struggle, I'll put my hand up, with pleasing people sometimes when I should be fearing God, seeking to please God? That's real, isn't it? And uh, it's very easy in a conversation... To think what is this person thinking of me, and what if they don 't like me, and what if I say something offensive and right and, and you know what that does? that makes you unfaithful, that makes me unfaithful if, if that 's what 's going on head, we are not going to do the right thing and of course the the biblical antidote to pleasing people is what it 's right here. you seek to please God or what the Bible calls the fear of the lord so, so here 's here's like one of those maturity things that has to happen in all of us. We're going into a conversation, we have all those temptations to think, what is this person going to think? And you know, what if I offend them? And um and and it may not just be like in the moment, it, it may be, uh, grandma and grandpa, if if you share that with my children, you may not get to have that time with that with your grandchildren anymore. I mean I i grandparents have been told, Christian grandparents have been told that. So it, it may be Serious consequences, more than just feeling embarrassed in the moment. But we've got to walk into those conversations and we have to be meditating on what would please the Lord And, and to live for his smile more than the smile of the person or the culture. Now notice, he gives us some help here. What will help us to fear God and seek to please him other than please people? Look back at the text. Look what he says. He says, "Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so you see that? That so connects why we're going to please God and not men with the motivation behind it. So if you're struggling with pleasing people instead of uh, or pleasing yeah pleasing people, instead of pleasing God, here, here's the meditation. You and I, as believers, have been approved by God. And entrusted with the gospel. You, you, you can imagine, um, you know, may, maybe you're uh, uh, in the medical profession, and you've been approved by the state of Texas to practice medicine, and uh, you've you've taken the uh, the Hippocratic oath, and you know, and, and, and you know that your job is to care for your patient. And, and you're standing at the door, you know what goes to the doctor's office, right? You know, the, the the nurse comes in and gets you in and checks, right? And then you sit, you sit in the, the office, sometimes for a long time, waiting for doc to show up, right? So, so your, your patient is in the chair, the door's closed, in the exam room, doctor comes up, they've got their files in the door sometimes, or, right? So you hear the rustling of papers outside the door, and that doctor is holding in his hand a cancer diagnosis. And at that point, he's thinking, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell this person something that they don't want to hear. No one wants to hear that. But at that point, that doctor has to decide, am I going to do my job, what I've been called to do as a doctor, and share that message, even though it might offend, even though it might be uh, received poorly? Or am I going to tell them, oh, you're great, you're healthy, we'll see you next year. And now the patient's happy with you, right? And as Christians, we we have a much more serious scenario than even physical health. We are entrusted with the spiritual health of other people. And we're bringing a, a spiritual uh, cancer diagnosis that that we are all uh, infected with the spiritual disease called sin, and that we will die eternally from it unless we take the cure. And uh, again, there be people that don't like to hear that. They live in denial. They don't want the cure. Um, and so it's the fact that we've been approved by God and we've been entrusted with the gospel. The more we meditate on that, the more we're going to be helped and encouraged to seek to please God and not men. Number six, avoiding flattery. Avoiding flattery. Verse five. Oh, oh! by the way, by the way, not as pleasing men, but God who what? I forgot this part. So do you see the sandwich? Do you know there's sandwiches in your Bible? There's a reason on the front end. There's a reason on the back end. And then there's your job in the middle. You see the sandwich? The, the, the sandwich on the front end is uh, you've been approved by God and you've been trusted with the gospel. The meat in the middle is go please God, don't please men. And the sandwich on the other end is what? God examines your heart. And And I, I take that to mean um, God will call us to faithfulness in our heart in terms of what our motivation is. Uh, we know we stand before Him one day and we give an account for our ministry. And, and how indicting it would be to hear mostly a man pleaser. So, we, we, or you flip it around. We, we can make it positive that when you go in to speak the truth in love and it doesn't go well, but you are aiming to please God and not people, Guess who notices? Guess who knows your heart and knows what you were trying to do? And that, that person is offended and put off, and, but God knows your heart. He knows that you were trying to speak the truth and love to them uh, out of love for God. So, Okay? Sorry, I missed that part. Okay, now number six. Verse five. For we never came with flattering speech. Um, is that odd? I, I had to think about this for a while. What... If you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, where would flattery get you into trouble? What do you think? Yeah. It does. That sounds proverbial, doesn't it? Um, yeah, so yeah yeah uh, yeah yes grant you're going to have a hard time with addressing their civil nature. yeah you're not going to see their need for a savior yeah so so what is flattery flattery is you know overwhelming a person with usually inaccurate encouragements right that's flattery right? We're, we're saying nice things that transcend truthfulness <laughs> exaggerate a little bit why do we usually flatter? Yeah, it makes them feel good so that... Yeah, so we get, we get something, right? They'll like us or they'll... Oh, that's great, you know. I'd love to hang out with you. He thinks the world of me, right? and Right? And, and now, there's a difference between encouragement and flattery. We ought to encourage. But encouragement is always based on what's true. Flattery... Um, expands the boundaries of encouragement beyond truthfulness, exaggerates it in order to make a person feel good, usually because I want something. That's flattery. So you can see how you're coming from persecution. Paul and Silas are coming from persecution. It didn't go well. They got run out of the city. They were in jail. And uh, here's a new audience. And the temptation, what? To please men rather than God. The temptation to not be bold. Do you see all that? The temptation to just tell them a whole bunch of nice things about themselves, kind of puff them up a little bit, make them feel great, and then maybe they'll like me. Maybe they won't believe that report from Philippi about how much we riled up the city. Uh, yeah, so I think flattery gets us into trouble. And, and, you know, here's the thing. My experience with flattery is it's habitual. It, it's something. It, it's a rut that we fall into when we're trying to be encouraging, but we're not careful, and it becomes just sort of almost this um, unintentional habit. But what'll happen is, even if even if we do that in, in, a, in a you know with a, with a good motive, I'm just trying to you know make people feel good. Uh, if we get in that mode, what'll happen is that flattery will creep in to more significant conversations, and we will end up being unfaithful. To God in speaking in ways that we ought not to speak to people. And I think whenever, whenever we're a bit timid, that's when the flattery can kick in. And then we end up, we end up distorting the Word of God uh, in the name of people, making people. Do you guys know this? Um, I like to encourage people. I really do. It's one of my favorite things to do. I can't honor jesus if everything i say to somebody else is guided by this thought that i want to make them feel good because the gospel calls us to have to say things to people that are going to make them feel very bad and that's hard for me i don't like making people feel bad So, so, don't, don't get into that rut of flattery when we need to be speaking the truth in love, even if it's potentially offensive. He also talks about greed here, not greedy. That's kind of interesting too. Um, a pretext for greed. God is witness. What, again, think with me. What, um, how could greediness, how does greediness fit into, like, talking to people about Jesus? Okay, well, that's a good greediness, right? Like wanting to win souls. Or you're saying maybe, maybe in the wrong, the wrong way. Well, thinking like it's your own doing okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could be greedy in the sense of I, I'm going to try to win souls, but it's all about me and my, my, my program, my skills. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's right. Paul, even Paul said, I'm, "I'm happy. I didn't baptize any of you because there were divisions happening. I'm of Paul. I'm of Silas. Well, I'm of Jesus. You know, to trump everybody else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, that greed of um, an, an ungodly thinking of self in terms of our successes in ministry. Yeah. Provisions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right after he talks about seeking the glory of him. Right. So he's, so he's my perspective is he's going, I'm not going to puff you up to like me for any reason. Mm-hmm. I'm going to. I'm not going to make this city not be like Philip. That's right. If I make you mad at me, if I make you riled up, Mm-hmm. so be it. Because yeah. I'm not going against it. I'm going to stick to my word. Yeah, so I'm going to stick to my word. No flattery, no greed, right? I'm going to be faithful. Grant, another thought? yeah yeah i yeah i and, and and it may be he's he's throwing the net broad in terms of that because he's going to say in a moment, uh we didn't take advantage of you financially we we worked the whole time we were there, so yeah, it could be greedy that way It could be greedy in terms of you know you know I've got this reputation that people respond to what i say so but, but again what, what, you know what this is showing us we <laughs> We have lots of enemies in our hearts when it comes to faithfulness to share the gospel with people. We have lots of temptations. It's not like it's one thing. Well, I don't know enough or I want people to like me. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, the, the God of this world knows us and the temptations that you and I will see to undermine our faithfulness in gospel ministry are often very unique to us. I mean, it's like, my fallen heart knows exactly uh, what will trip me up in faithfulness. And the enemy knows that as well. Okay? So we, we, uh, he says there, uh, We never came with flattering speech, as you know, or with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did, look at this, nor did we seek glory from men. Right? We didn't seek glory from men. The same idea as pleasing people. That's another way of saying it. We didn't seek glory from men. Um, and, and you know, guys, the, 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 we we see today. Um, you guys, know, and if you, you know, church history. You know this. There's always a. There's always a modified Christian message in every culture. There's always a gospel that has been modified to be more culturally acceptable and this is this is the gospel this is the religion this is the church that fits in uh you guys know there's a our our uh, friends over at the united methodist church here in town and methodist churches everywhere that the the uh mainstream united methodist denomination is so like disintegrating in the air that there are movements To say, hey, we we need to go to a more conservative, a more you know, a different denomination, and and you guys may have friends over at the the Acton Methodist Church right here that have recently voted on all of that, Um, because there's always a gospel alternative that's more culturally palatable, whether it's um, homosexual marriage, whether it's transgender issues, whether whether it's Christian nationalism, whatever it is, that um, there's always. A false gospel lurking in the church, designed to bring the applause and acceptance of the culture, and we got to be we got to be looking for that. The, the, the glory of men or the glory of God, right, are always the alternatives. Um, how, how many more of these do we have? Four. Six more? Okay, let me, let me just, we'll, we'll just, we'll, let's do one more and then we'll, we'll call it a day here. I should know better than to drink 12 points into the pulpit. Uh, and, and really don't want to shortchange us too much on this, but, um, okay, so, so here, here, here's another thing. So we've been talking about qualities, right? Boldness, pleasing God, persistent, uh, sharing the gospel, um, not flattering, not greedy. Let me give you a picture now. When you're engaged in gospel conversation, even in opposition, even where it may not be received, what picture comes to mind? Well, here's a picture. It ought to look like a loving mother, affectionately, fondly, lovingly, caring for her child. Now, I confess because I looked it up, there are a lot of Christian conversations that you can find on YouTube that don't look like that. They look they look more like child abuse then they look like a loving mother fondly, affectionately caring for her children. Look, listen to the language here. This is a strong, bold, confident, persistent, faithful man of God who says this. But we proved... To be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I think sometimes we feel like faithfulness is I have to be I have to be a spiritual Rambo or He-Man. I'll date myself in that that reference. All the kids are going, "Who's He-Man?" Ask your mom. Ask your dad um th- th- that that we, we we come out of the smoke with a big gun on our back thing of bullets over our chests blood all over and we're just we're just going forward for Jesus and no one's going to stop us and and, and you know th- there is there is a strength there is a boldness there is a persistence we've read about it but the picture Paul pulls of what Christ-like caring for people looks like as we seek to excel still more in caring is, oh, look at that newborn and mom nursing the newborn. Does that challenge you? Does that challenge you? I'm mean i like, whoa, that's not the picture that comes to mind for me. We proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother gently cared. You you ever seen a mom with, with a nursing child right? She grabs him by one arm, rips him out of the stroller, right? You know, put that blanket on and get up here and eat. You know, that's not, that's not how it goes. You ever, Especially a first-time mom. You remember this? You remember when you were, ladies, those of you that are, that are moms or maybe grandmas now, remember how that went the first time and, and you're like, I don't want to break him. And then you realize God made him, you know, flexible and pretty, pretty, yeah, you know, you realize that they're not that, that fragile, but remember that you're just like, I don't want to break anything, right? And, and, and you see that. That's the picture of what it should look like when you're sitting down at Thanksgiving sharing the gospel with an unbelieving family member. That's what it should look like when you're at the office and you're sharing Christ with that very difficult person. That's what it should look like when it is your own children, <laughs> and they're not adopting your faith, they're rejecting your faith, and we're gentle. We're we're, we're treating them as fragile. We're treating them tenderly and affectionate, uh, the way a first-time mom brings a little one up to nurse. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's as we as we we'll just. Put a comment in our notes here for the week. But as we go into the week, as we think about what do these gospel conversations need to look like, let that picture stick in your head. That that boldness is not harsh, persistence is not reckless. We can be faithful, and we ought to do it gently and carefully. Okay, you got it. All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these reminders and 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 new challenges. Lord, we we picture a mom nursing her child and how we want to be bold for the gospel, but we want to be gentle with others in that boldness. And so I pray that you'll help us to, to meditate on that picture, meditate on these things this week. Think about it over and over and over and ask ourselves, are we being gentle? Are we, are we being harsh? How are we coming across? And that you would help us to be faithful uh, to share this message with other people even when uh, it is hostile or difficult to do. Uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you that you've entrusted us and you've approved us with this message. And we want to make a difference for eternity. So help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.